Welcome to Life Changing Money, a podcast all about one of the most taboo topics in the world, money. I'm your host, Barbara Shrehan, and we're going behind the scenes on business owners' journeys to money, success, and wealth. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Life Changing Money. I'm so excited because I have my friend Ariane Lemire here. Hello, and welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Barbara. So excited to be here. I'm so excited for the listeners to hear your story. You have gone from making $1 an hour to having 2,400 doors in real estate. Can you start with a little bit of your story on how and why you were making a dollar an hour? Yeah, whenever I hear anyone say that, it still gives me chills because it's so it's just been a crazy journey. But I think all of you guys have heard of virtual assistants, right? Um, I used to be on the other end of that. I was born in the Philippines. So when I was young, my uncle pretty much had like virtual assistant business and he would sub out the work. So I used to make a dollar an hour wow. as your virtual assistant who was getting subbed out. And then from there, our family moved to New Zealand. I got to go to college, became a speech language pathologist, met my husband who lives in Florida. That's why I'm here now. And so I just started, well, I started a broke immigrant. And then mm-hmm. I became like what most people aspire to be. I made nice median income salary as a speech language pathologist. My husband was a software developer. And then we got into realizing that dream. I think when you're born poor or you didn't have a lot of money growing up, you thought that, oh, like all those people that have that nice job, that have that nice salary, like once you get there, everything's great. Everything's going to be fine. There's no Mm -hmm. more problems. At least that's how my internal story went. Growing up, like my family had a lot of fights about money. Almost everything revolved around fights around money, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I was always driven to make more money. Um, and then when I got there to making you know, six figures a year, and all like the magical end of the rainbow, I was there's no like pot of gold at the end of this <laughs> rainbow. All all that really happened was I just got trapped in this job because I didn't actually get to do what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. So I, I told you guys, my family lived in New Zealand when I was growing up, well, at the end of my teenage years. And then I moved to the States to be with my husband and his family. And then when we started our nice salary jobs, we were like, wait, hold on. Part of my wish growing up was to be able to see both sides of our family. Mm. And in our jobs, we realized that we couldn't do that. I was a medical professional. I couldn't really get time off. There was PTO, but you couldn't take it because I was the only medical professional in the building who could do what I was supposed to do. Yeah. From then, we we realized that we worked so hard to get here. It took 10 years to get there, right? Like school and training and paying for all the college. Sure. And then when you get to that point, we were like, well, this is just like a nice little cage we trapped ourselves into because mm-hmm. money, more money didn't actually fix our problems. Back to New Zealand. Is that where you met Chris, your husband? So we met online in a game, actually. Oh, <laughs> we were okay. playing some random game. It's called Ragnarok. It's like World oh, yeah. of Warcraft, if you've heard of that. Yeah. yeah how funny. So then met. did he fly to New Zealand first or you did you fly to the States? Yep. So you flew to New Zealand and then we exchanged. We, he saw my family. I flew to the States, got engaged. And wow. Here we are. When I hear a dollar an hour and now to be transparent we have VAs in the Philippines mm-hmm. and I mean they're not paid a dollar an hour they're paid more than that but what yeah. does a dollar an hour or what does a dollar mean in the Philippines so a dollar an hour is it's like working entry level it's not bad actually so it's if you got your first job as a cashier or first job at McDonald's that's usually what you would make starting out my dream back then was to make five dollars an hour which is what nurses would make, a speech pathologist would make. Wow. So yeah, like $5 an hour is a really good living in the Philippines. 
Okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> yes, about- no, no, it's great. I love people who hire VAs because it's, you know, back like there, there's not really a lot of options. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that globally we can actually hire from that, from the Philippines and other countries as well. It gives them more options. Awesome. Okay, so then you moved to the States. You and Chris have, you know, good careers after college. Mm-hmm. And how did you make that first leap into real estate? We pretty much started investing because of that idea of like we're trapped, right? Like we make money, but we can't even spend the money, right? Because we can't see our family. So we started looking at how can we actually retire from this job? Mm -hmm. Because that was the only way to actually see them. It wasn't more money. It was more time. We actually had no time to be able to see our family. And so we started researching. Googling, right? How do I retire early? <laughs> and then you probably probably saw a bunch of like get rich quick schemes. Um, yeah. And then we read about the stock market. That's the normal way to retire, right? You do the 4% rule. But then when we looked at the normal way to retire, the stock market way, we saw that, well, this only works if you're going to retire at 60, right? Mm-hmm. Like we were at that time in our 20s. So yeah. how is this going to work if we want to do it in our 30s sometime? And so that didn't really pan out. We would have need a lot, millions and millions and millions of dollars to do that. And then we stumbled across real estate. Chris actually had a background in real estate. So growing up, his dad would buy rental properties mm-hmm. and he would fix it up with him. So he had a negative uh, idea of real estate because he was the free labor ah. <laughs> cleaning up all of these <laughs> dirty rental properties and like hanging the cabinets for free for his, uh, for his dad. But we at least knew about it. So we started mm-hmm. researching it more and looking at YouTube and finding blogs about how do you buy rental properties. And then we just saw that, okay, like this makes sense. It's we buy a property, it rents for this much, the expenses are this much and the mortgage is this much. So like we knew that if we invested enough, we could get that recurring income and we could replace our income. That's how it all started. Uh, we made a lot of mistakes. Initially, we, our math was just rental income minus mortgage expenses. And that okay. was our cash flow. And we're like, oh, right, this is great. We're going to make a lot of money on this one. Then we found out that you had to pay for other expenses like repairs and the water bills and everything else. A new HVAC or roof. Right. Yeah, you <laughs> actually got a budget for the new roof and the new HVAC some point down the road. So was the first real estate investment a rental property or I know you guys did flips as well. Yeah. So the first two were rental properties. So we saved up, you know, as much as we could save up at work. Um, and then we put 25% down to buy a rental property. We were able to do that twice. But then on the last one, we kind of ran out of money. We thought, hey, let's do this flipping thing. So that's where we got the idea of how to flip houses. And then we mm-hmm. eventually ended up flipping hundreds of houses since then. That was kind of a little distraction for us because... We thought whenever we went into real estate, like the story from earlier, it was all about having more time mm-hmm. so we could actually visit family uh, on the other side of the world. But when we started flipping houses, we just got sucked into the big checks. Oh, right. We can make this much more than a rental. Mm-hmm. But years pass by and we realized that that's actually not the path to wealth because all we really had was a bigger paying job yeah. with bigger stressors. Flips take a bigger, lot of time. Yes, and a lot of risk. Like right now, is a lot of flippers are kind of hurting right now because the market's not doing as well as for flipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, after three years of flipping a few hundred houses, we, flip, we flipped over 500 houses over a span of three to five years. Wow. Uh, we looked up and saw that, hey, we don't have any more time than when we started this journey. And that's where we looked back and saw, hey, like the rental properties were actually the path to get our time back. Mm-hmm. And we pivoted into buying bigger chunks of rental properties. At the time, we had more cash, but we didn't buy rentals for three years. 
And that's where we stumbled upon buying apartment complexes. Since we were buying houses already, we were talking to a lot of people who were thinking of selling properties. And one of those people happened to have six fourplexes altogether. So initially, he at the time, we were still like mid-20s, right? So we looked kind of young and probably don't have money to buy 24 units. So he was very antagonistic in the beginning and Mm -hmm. just kind of like joking around with us. But for six months, we kept in touch and we kind of told him what we were up to and that we were still interested. And he eventually did sell us those six fourplexes. And that's how we started in the multifamily path. Essentially, we bought that 24 units. We fixed it up, got the rents up to market rent. After fixing them up, refinanced our proceeds out and then rolled it into the next thing. And I love how humble you are. You're just like, yeah, we just rolled it into the next thing. And now what's the biggest multifamily that you've purchased? The biggest was a 207 unit portfolio. It's probably the biggest like in number of units and apartments together. I know when we talk about making a dollar an hour and then now we're talking about like multi-million dollars yeah. in properties, some listeners might be like, like, how do you get there? And you can get there. It's just, you got to start moving towards that direction. Mm -hmm. So whether that next step for you right now is learning more about real estate, if that's the avenue you want to invest in, or buying your first property, or maybe investing with someone who you know is doing that already, figure out what the next step is. Mm -hmm. For some people, like some of you might be able to buy a 20-unit property already because maybe you have a lot of proceeds in your business, you just sold another property, you can 1031 exchange it to that. Getting to 2,400 units, we just did it one unit at a time, essentially, like 24 units and then 20 units and then 100 units and then 200 units. And we just kept buying over the years. I love your podcast, Barbara, because it's all about money and also saving in taxes, right? <laughs> and one of the reasons we don't sell, the only reason we have a lot is because we didn't sell them. Uh-huh. Uh, we didn't sell most of them. And it's because we want to keep delaying those taxes for later. Because the more money we actually have to reinvest into mm-hmm. other communities, other apartments, the better off everyone is, right? Us, the people living there, because we're making it a better place for them to live. And then mm-hmm. also the investors who typically we invest with other people in our deals. And good advice on, you know, just take the first step. And I think what keeps a lot of people from investing in real estate is they just don't know where to start and they're not, they don't know enough about it. So that's why I love Wealth Gym. So she also owns Wealth Gym and it's this amazing educational platform and you have probably thousands, I don't even know, but thousands of like social media videos and YouTube videos and all the things. So then how did Wealth Gym come about? After we got to a point where we did have our time back, we just sat down and started to think, I wish we knew about all of this way back then. Because we obviously made a lot of mistakes. I made it sound like, oh, we're a rock star. But there was a lot of mistakes along the way and a lot of Mm -hmm. time spent and a lot of money spent on things that didn't really work out. And I wish I was able to learn all about what I know now. So that's what Wealthstream is. Essentially, we have a lot of free YouTube videos and a lot of on social media, Instagram, TikTok, all of that. We just want to educate people on what they can actually do with their money. Because like you said, it's scary. Mm -hmm. You don't really know. And most of the time, the people you see are trying to sell you a get-rich-quick scheme. Or in the last year, there's a lot lot of get-rich-quick investments like crypto and all of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that we invest in too, right? It's a highly speculative investment that I'm not saying is bad or anything. It's just if you know all the options, you are better equipped to make a decision Mm -hmm. instead of just thinking that money is just for 
those wealthy guys in suits in Wall Street, right? Which I think most of us thought was how it worked. You have to give your money to a financial advisor and they knew everything you needed and you didn't know anything. I want everyone yeah. to know more about just the basics of real estate. It's actually very tangible. If you think about it, it's not rocket science. You buy a property, you need to budget for all the expenses needed. Then you need to make sure that the rent that you're charging is equal to market rent because it's not like people are going to pay you 10 times more than what they can find anywhere else. And then you provide a good, clean, safe place to live for someone else and they're happily paying you every month. That's it times 2,400 units. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's easy to grasp. I, I don't really know how crypto works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't really know how the stock market works a whole lot because you read their P&Ls and they're not making money but yet the stock, you know, like that doesn't yes, add up a lot of totally. time. Totally. And so along with Wealth Gym. She also hosts really amazing retreats, which I think that's this week because I have two. Yeah. The reason I couldn't go is because yes, I have this two week. speeches. This weekend. We'll miss you. But oh, I'm so sad. And also the best food I've ever had at a retreat. So good oh, job on great. your chefs that you have. Something that really stuck out to me in the last retreat that you held was you shared an example of if you invested the same amount in the stock market as real estate, you know, the stock market might say average rate of return mm -hmm. is X amount. And your example showed how real estate actually can give you a lot better return. Can you explain that yeah. a little bit? I know we don't uh, have the charts for yeah, people yeah. to I'll see. I'll try to but... explain it verbally. Um, first of all, I'm not saying the stock market is bad. I know sometimes when people hear real estate is better in the stock market, they think I'm saying, no, no, no. Like sometimes I'm saying <laughs> we invest in the stock market too. I just want everyone to be informed because a lot of times when you look at stock perspectives or even real estate investments, there's a lot of numbers mm -hmm. and a lot of things can be hidden in numbers. So you just want to know how the numbers are, are calculated. So in the stock market, for example, when someone says there's an average, let's say they say there's an average of 8% return over the last 10 years, you would expect expect that to be eight, 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 eight for 10 years. But that's not what actually happens. There's usually dips and there's high. So there's negatives and there's positive, right? So if we just do three years, so let's say you did, there was a negative 24% return and then a positive 24% return over two years. That's a 0% return, right? Mm -hmm. If you average it, if you add another eight to the end, you're an 8% return. Mm -hmm. So that would be an 8% return in the stock market. But because you had those dips, you actually don't have the same amount of money as if you just had eight, eight, eight throughout the years, right? Like right. if you have a calculator, you can kind of test that out, you know, see what $100,000 times negative, you know, 24 minus $24,000 and then add another 24% after that. You'll see that it's different. And so when you're comparing an 8% return in real estate and an 8% return in the stock market, they're usually different actual numbers, even though it's the same 8% return. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the basics. And then there's also other ways you make money in investments. So there's usually in the stock market, it's by selling things, right? So it's usually appreciation. You buy something at this price and then next year it goes up. Mm -hmm. And then when you sell it, you capture that return. But in real estate, there's that. You can also buy something and then sell it for higher later. But right now, nobody's talking about selling for higher later. Like everything's negative right now or mm -hmm. flatlined. So it's useful to know other investments that still get your return without having the value go up. So real estate is one, like we talked about earlier, you have rent, you deduct your expenses and then your mortgage payments and then you have cash flow. So no matter whether the value of the property goes up or down, 
if you're actually collecting that rent payment, you're still collecting income. And that mm -hmm. is a return to your portfolio. There's also tax benefits, which I know Barbara talks about a whole lot. Probably a whole episode just on that. Real estate tax benefits. And then there's also the loan pay down. So usually when we buy real estate, you put a loan on it. Every year you're paying down something on that loan. So your equity actually goes up. So by the time you ultimately sell later, you won't owe that much more, that much on the mortgage as when you bought it. Mm -hmm. So you'll have all that extra equity as an actual return as well, even if the value never goes up. Yeah, exactly. Let's switch a little bit. I could ask you a million questions on on real estate, but let's go back to you mentioned your parents always or your family always fighting yeah. about money. So yes. what kind of money mindset hurdles did you kind of have because you always heard your parents fighting about money? Yeah, there was a lot. I will say I at least clued into money early. That was one pro of always having fights about money uh -huh. is I was aware <laughs> That money uh -huh. was the thing. I like Tony Robbins and he said, if you attribute some of the bad things, you also want to attribute some of the good things to whatever happened. So that was a good thing. That's what started my journey into becoming a good manager of my own money. But because of that, when I started making money, I almost would self-sabotage myself a whole lot in the beginning because mm -hmm. I almost had this like weird, nobody said this to me, but I felt like money was bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was just a bad energy around money itself. And I caught myself, thankfully, in the beginning by I was listening to a bunch of Tony Robbins stuff and a lot of self-help books and seeing my pattern of, right, whenever I get money in the beginning, I would blow it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> essentially on something sometimes it wasn't all bad right it wasn't all just irrelevant things but I would not make a very good decision on my money and it wasn't until I actually realized that like why do I have that pattern and I just asked it ask myself why like why 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 it's just I feel like for everyone it's different right like you're not gonna have the same story as me but when I started just having a quiet time to think and asking myself why am I doing this it just reminded me of all the negative experiences I had when talking with money mm -hmm. that it clicked that oh right that's probably where it came from and now I have this pattern and it wasn't like overnight that oh I knew that pattern I'm gonna stop it right it's not like it's not magic but at least when I became aware I would see that this isn't something that I want when I started doing some self-sabotaging things about money. Mm -hmm. It's not what I want. It's not what um, you know my parents would want. It's just a habit that I created that I need to replace. Mm -hmm. Then I started just replacing all those little habits, right? If if I would, you know, blow it on some random purchase that didn't get a return, I would now, instead of doing that, say, hey, I'm going to use this money and put it in a savings account for our next investment. Mm -hmm. So I just started slowly changing all of those habits to get to where we are now. It's just every day. Now that obviously your life is different than when you were growing up and your lifestyle is a little bit different. How have you kind of expanded your thinking about money now into like abundance instead of, you know, maybe earlier yes. it was scarcity? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was just save, 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 scrimp, save. It's how I think it's how we all start if you don't have money, right? Mm -hmm. Because you go from not having anything at all. And then when you have something, you just want to keep it. But then I started seeing what the wealthy people were actually doing with their money. And most wealthy people don't just hoard it and put it in the bank account. They actually invest their money into themselves, increase their skills. Mm -hmm. They invest money in businesses, in real estate. That's really the difference between how the rich and the wealthy use their money, right? Like the difference mm -hmm. between the poor and the wealthy isn't really the money itself, but it's what they do with the money. Because before, before I had that 
abundance mindset, you could probably give me all the money in the world and nothing would happen with it, right? I'd probably either lose it or just keep it in a bank account and then never ever do anything. But after I saw what I started studying, like what did the wealthy people actually do? And I just started following their path of, okay, invest in myself because my skills allow me to generate more money Mm -hmm. and then invest in assets that generate money as well. So that's where we got into real estate. So what's a day in the life of having 2,400 doors? Because that sounds overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) It can be sometimes whenever I think about all of the operation that has to happen, right? Because for those properties, we typically have property management companies that handle them. Um, And then we meet with all of the regional managers and on-site staff each week. So typically in the morning, I have several meetings to, depending on, you know, which property scheduled for a meeting. Some of the properties that are in the beginning phase where we just bought them or maybe are struggling with an issue, we have extra kind of problem solving meetings with on-site staff to figure out like what exactly is happening. So usually most of my mornings are property meetings to make sure that everything's working out well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the afternoons, it's more of my, my time to actually review the financials of the properties. And then after that, it's usually free time. If there's a fire, we have to put out the fire. And if there's not, then we get some more time to think about what's next. And I know you guys just took a huge trip. Like Mm -hmm. you went all around the world. Yeah, we did. So how did kind of work play into that? Did you guys still have meetings while you were gone? Or was it like you planned this ahead of time and you were just off? Yeah, so we did have less meetings than normal, but we still had two to three hours of meetings per day just because our our goal, especially right now with the financial market, like I'd rather be proactive and solve Mm -hmm. the problems now before they get big. Mm -hmm. Um, And thankfully, so we were in Europe. So we were in France, Switzerland and Italy for a couple months. The first half was with our families, which is amazing. We get to sponsor their trips um, now before we couldn't even pay for our own plane flights which is crazy Um, and then the last half it was just me and Chris and thankfully in Europe the time difference actually works out where it's only an eight hour time difference so we got to carve out three hours in the afternoon to do work stuff and do meetings and then we have the whole morning and the whole evening to do whatever so worked out really well if you had one piece of advice for working with your spouse all day every day (laughs) what would what would it be I would say really sit down and divide and conquer because I feel like sometimes when we're working together like, and we didn't like we worked together from eight years ago essentially Chris and I and in the beginning we would do the exact same thing twice and we would frustrate each other because I would want it to do it slightly different and he would too but then something else wouldn't get done right because we were both focused on the same thing so I think sit down really write down which um, activities you guys are going to focus on and don't do the same thing because both of you are great, intelligent individuals, right? You're capable. It's just when you're stepping on each other's toes, that's when it gets a little tough. And then at least for us, it kind of sometimes bleeds into the marriage too. Another really important tip is have a date night that doesn't include talking about work. Yes. Uh, we did that way too late, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> When you're working together in the business, right, it's easy to just talk about this hiring, this, this employee, this KPI, this whatever. And then all you talk about is business, even on a date. Mm -hmm. That really kind of wear down on our relationship for a while before we started. Hey, we actually like each other separate from work. (laughs) We needed to remember that we liked each other. Yeah. Okay. So this is not financial advice. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what the heck 
is going to happen to the market in the next year or two? What do you guys think? What's your take on it? Yeah, I also don't have a crystal ball. Um, For us, we are just preparing for what we have right now. And then the the worst case scenario, right? The worst case scenario is interest rates keep going up. Um, We fall into a deeper recession, which means more, at least for our properties, more vacancy, more. And if inflation keeps going up, expenses keep going up, right? So we're planning for that worst case. So right now we are keeping a lot of cash reserves and we are very hands-on in our portfolio. Like I said, like even though we we probably don't need to have daily meetings at some properties, we want to have our pulse on them mm-hmm. so that if something goes wrong or, you know, our expenses creep up or we have a team member who's not performing as well, we can give resources and fix it so it doesn't become a bigger problem. Um, so that's what we're doing proactively. But what I think might happen kind of macroeconomic wise, I think we'll probably keep the interest rates will probably stay high till mid of next year to the end of next year, depending on how the market actually reacts, which means all the asset classes pretty much either stay flat or go lower. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we'll likely see some softening on the interest rates next year, the year after that. So 2024. That's my guess but we are planning on it just staying high for a really long time so if interest rates are high sellers have to sell at a lower rate in order in order to sell would you still buy properties at a high interest rate as long as the price gets lowered yes so now it's actually a really good time to buy because we all know that at some point the interest rates will stagnate a little bit lower which will and we're making more people we're making more money right so inflation goes up at some point and right now because we have these high interest rates that's what the fed does before there was a fed things just happen mm-hmm. right? a crash happened whatever right now they have tools to manipulate what's happening so as long as they can they're manipulating the interest rates so that we stop spending money and so it's artificially keeping prices low which is a good time to buy right like when there's a lot of fear in the market it's the best time to buy because mm-hmm. if six months ago there were 50 other people competing with you now there might only be five people competing with you so it's a good time to also realize that there's other ways to skin a cat like it's not just I'm going to pay cash or I'm going to get bank financing. Brush up on some creative financing skills. We actually do a lot of that where we negotiate a seller second note or a seller carry back at a lower interest rate than the bank. So our blended rate is low. There's all those sorts of different tricks, right, that you can do right now. So you can still buy when prices are low, but you don't have to pay the super high interest rates. You can negotiate seller financing rates or better rates with a local bank instead of the, the big banks. Yeah. And if you buy with a high interest at a lower price, eventually, yeah, you eventually, that's right, and get a lower rate at a lower price. So, yes. so you lock in your cost basis, which is going to be low. It's probably the lowest it's going to be for a while. Mm-hmm. And then later, once rates are better, you can refinance, increase your cash flow by a lot, and usually unlock a lot of extra equity so you can tax free. Yeah. And then you can roll that into the next one. Okay. I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. So you have to be quick. <gasps> okay. I'll try. What is your next BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal? Next BHAG. What I really want to do is create a better curriculum just to help people from kind of day one, you know, nothing about money to actually getting there. We're starting to do that right now, but I feel like it would be nice if there was actually 
you know, tests and quizzes and all that kind of thing to check uh, our retention mm -hmm. so that people can have the better habits that we all wish we had. It's just nobody really teaches that in school. Yeah. So that's our next BHAG. It'll take a little while to do that. Besides Wealth Gym, obviously, for real estate education, what's the number one book you would recommend? I really like The One Thing by Jay Papasan, mainly because I keep getting distracted myself and I reread <laughs> it four times a year. So I would recommend that. If you won the lottery today, would you take the lump sum or payments over 20 years? Uh, the lump sum. If you could hire someone in your life to do something for you, what hire would that be? Like what position? Hmm. We are starting a property management company. So right now we actually are looking for someone with background in property management in our operations department there. What's something in your house that's like super old, you need to replace it, but you just have it. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. Our couch was actually the same couch we had from when we first got married. So it's like a $100 couch <laughs> that we still have, but we just... Holding on? Yeah, it's holding on. We're like, well, we don't really know what to replace it with. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So where can our listeners find you? So I am on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Ask Ariane and also Instagram, the Ariane Lanier. If you go to those, there's a bunch of free videos and resources all about real estate investing, just general money management. And hopefully that can help you guys in your financial journey. She is the best. You guys have to follow her and watch <laughs> all of her videos. Thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you so much for having me, Barb. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life-Changing Money. Don't forget to subscribe. And I would love if you left a review and shared it with your friends. See you next time.